When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. We had this one penciled in as a bonus episode from the beginning. We knew when the Nobels were going to come out. We said, okay, we're going to hold one of these extra shows um, and do a little bit of a quick turnaround. The Literature Nobel was announced, what, 48 hours Mm -hmm. ago? We're recording on Saturday morning now. And we'll say, we know, we did the annotated about the Nobel cluster, I think is the technical (laughs) term for what what they did over Mm -hmm. the last couple Mm -hmm. years. And the double Nobel that would be coming this year, and they added some new members, and the King Gustav got involved, and now people can resign, and everything should be all turned around, and everyone should have learned their lesson about being Nobel Prize, um, the, the Nobel Prize awarding in the Swedish Academy. All our ducks should be in a row. You had two years to get your ducks in a row after a public duck shaming public about duck how unrowed your ducks were. <laughs> Just and so the Nobel Committee came out, and as I would have done. Picked a very cloud pleasing, uh, you know, assigned to their their historical blind spots. You know, maybe look around the world a little bit more. Maybe you know, let's let's try to duck controversy and say, you know, the Nobel's back and it's better than ever. And that is not exactly what we got. As we said in um, the news show that you will be hearing before this one comes out, even though we just recorded it yesterday. Um, Olga Torkachuk, I think, is how we say that name. If someone knows better, let us know. Uh, Rebecca and I looked around for pronunciations, but I think Americans are scared of getting it wrong, and so it wasn't on videos or anything anywhere. And Peter Hanke, um were awarded the double Nobel, so both of them got a full prize. It's not a split prize like it's happened in the past. Um, and uh, Olga Tokarczuk is from Poland, and Peter Hanka is from Austria. And... Here's the deal. So the sto- the story we're getting the, the headline here that's being passed around is Hanka has made some comments in the past about the genocidal dictator Slobodan Milosevic, which were let's say something less than critical, as critical as you'd like of a genocidal dictator. Is that fair, Rebecca? I think that's maybe even generous. And- <laughs> yeah. Maybe even I'm coming, trying to come out generous because this is not something I know a whole lot about. I don't speak Austrian. Uh, you know, I have eighth grade German. I don't know a lot about the Yugos- the Serbian war and everything that happened there and the, the, the slaughter of genocide of uh, Islamic people in the Balkans. Like, I'm very much out of my depth. So I'm, I'm trying to cover the coverage more than I'm trying to comment on the thing itself, which is a tough look mm-hmm. for the Swedish Academy. I haven't read a single word by either of authors, so I'm out completely outside of my depth to comment on the quality of either of them. But the meta story here is what a way to step in it coming out of two years of just getting roasted. Yeah. And this is what you do. Yeah. It's not a great look. Like my overall reaction to this is that madman gif of not great, Bob. <laughs> like just not great, Bob. It's not a great look, but I think it's, and it raises interesting questions about like wh- what exactly, mm-hmm. what are the ducks that the Nobel Prize Committee has thought it needs to get in a row, and how are those yeah 
different from the ducks that the world was hoping the Nobel Prize Committee would be getting into a row. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that there are, I think there's a lot of light between those two sets of expectations or two sets of understanding what the problems were and what the sort of new version of, or the updated or whatever you want to call it, even just the healthier version of the Nobel Prize should be or should look like. Um, I I think we both said on the recording that, yeah, it will come out after the show airs, that we were a little bit surprised that Mm -hmm. the double Nobel actually even happened, that there was a real chance in both of our minds that uh, they wouldn't get it together in order to do this, or maybe it would be delayed again. Um, But they did award, you know, Olga won for 2018, and Peter Hanke was awarded the 2019 award. It's it's not awesome. It's also, you know, the Hanke criticisms are the loudest. And because his behavior uh, and support of Milosevic is the biggest thing to point a finger at and to be upset about for very good reasons, obviously, like genocide apologist, mm-hmm. not cool, um, recognizing one for their work and putting them on a large platform. Very questionable. Um, but these are both, both of these writers are white. They're both of European descent. Um, there'd been a lot of talk about the yeah. importance of bringing more diversity to the recognition of the Nobel Prize. Like in the hundred ish years that the prize has been awarded, only 14 women have won the Nobel Prize for Literature. So it also yeah. has a gender problem. Uh, there, are, there was a lot of opportunity for growth, but I'm not sure that that's actually what the Nobel Prize Committee was trying to do. Like I, hmm. Yeah, I really, yeah, yeah yes. Okay. <laughs> they thought they had their ducks in a row. They're like, we've got, the problem here is some back of the house stuff, mm-hmm. and it's not actually the laureates, right? Um, and this goes to show that they don't, at least from our perspective, and I think a lot of, a lot of people share our perspective, frankly, that do this anywhere close to professionally, that interested in, in literature writ large, especially just as Vanessa and I were talking the other day about the Guardian's list of the best 100 novels mm, of the 20, mm-hmm. uh, 21st century, we said, you know, one thing that's, or I said, one thing that's notable here is that the diversity of the list isn't a question. There's just RP, different kinds of genres, yeah. different kinds of people and voices and identities represented there. It's sort of table stakes for people per- playing in this space at this point is an awareness of where we are in the cultural discourse around books and reading. And one of those things is about it can't be so hetero, white, Western, mm-hmm. English-centric. It just That's just not where we are right now. That's not where um, the vanguard of thinking about these things, or even the, even the middle, frankly, even the sort of the middle left of this is anymore. And we're going to have, um, I should say, you did a little uh, interview with Amanda Nelson, our executive editor, who's read some of uh, Turkachuk, um, really liked her last book, which is something about bones and plows. I get it Drive wrong. Drive your every plow over the bones of the dead. Yeah, that is a that is a, a wonderful Metallica song yeah, title. It's a very um, metal that's book a hardcore title. name for a book, and it was it's a very metal book title. It's not surprising Amanda liked it, so she's actually can speak intelligently about that book. So at the end of our discussion, you're going to hear that, that, so we can actually get to. it. I'm not going to engage with Hanka's work mm-hmm. at all right now, except to note it's that he has been um, lauded over time in, in Germany, but then he won the Henrik Hein Prize, then it had it revoked because for political reasons. Even Penn, the Penn Foundation, which is basically the ACLU for writers is the shorthand way of understanding mm-hmm. what they are, came out against Hanka's getting this award. Now, if the Penn, yeah. said, if the, the Penn organization says you shouldn't get an award, you're really out there because they'll protect people. It's kind of like, for me, it's kind of like the ACLU 
where it's just a little outside mm-hmm. of where I would go, but that's probably good because it keeps me thinking a little outside of my comfort zone. If the pen isn't giving you any cover, that that's a real yeah, that is a real sign. Their statement, uh, we'll link to their statement in the show notes. But um, Jennifer yeah. Egan is the American president of Pen or the president of Pen America, and in the statement that she issued on behalf of the organization, she said, "We reject the decision that a writer who has persistently called into question thoroughly documented war crimes deserves to be celebrated for his quote linguistic ingenuity at a moment of." rising nationalism, autocratic leadership, and widespread disinformation around the world, the literary community deserves better than this. We deeply regret the Nobel Committee on Literature's choice. That's it's a that's a powerful statement, but exactly as you were saying, it's a big deal because Penn usually stays out of these things. They don't like they're very, you know, mm-hmm. freedom of speech and uh, of expression and paddle your own mm-hmm. canoe and like let literature, you know, be provocative and do what literature does. And so it's notable that they made a public comment about this and one as uh, full throated as that. And I think that it that's really at the core that what the ideas that they're getting to are really at the core of that is like, what literature is trying to do and what like sort of progress the progressive edge of literature is trying to do is not the same thing as what the Nobel Committee, I think, is trying no. to do. And, you know, Alfred Nobel's instructions are vague in a way that's perhaps not helpful um, to, to select the most outstanding work in an idealistic direction. Like you decide what outstanding mm-hmm. means you decide what idealistic direction means in your selection of of these works and the nobel committee is made of you know, 18 like older swedish people that i'm going to guess like are not super plugged into popular discourse in and are maybe not that invested in like what the edges of like wokeness for lack of a better term mm. are um that i i'm I'm also trying to be generous in my interpretation. I think they probably don't realize that in persisting in apparently trying to separate the art from the artist or ignoring the writer's statements and political behavior just to lift up the work, they're making themselves less and less relevant um, is really the thought that I had. Like yeah, This was a bad right. choice on the part of the Nobel Prize Committee, but it's a useful one in illustrating to the literary community writ large what the Nobel Prize Committee does and doesn't care about. Yeah. And they and then there's um, there's lots of good coverage. The Times is a good piece. Ron Child Ron Charles got out the flaming like, knives you, for this particular no, piece. No, it's too. a like things are bad when Ron Charles is really mad about it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, um, flaming bacon hat uh, on Ron <laughs> Charles this time. I mean, by all accounts, formally, sort of artistically, especially thirty years ago, it sometimes happens with Nobel. You know, this is often a lifetime achievement award, though. It can happen in, in, in different ways, but like Hanka was, came out of the gate really hot, you know, a, a novella at the beginning of his career that was widely lauded. He has some very interesting experimental theater stuff and the Nobel prize. One of the spokespeople says, you know, historically we've tried to separate, we, we don't consider the connection of literary quality with politics. And I don't know how many times we have to beat this drum. That, that's a, you can't do it. Right. That's impossible. Can't, can't can't do it. So that they're trying to do an impossible thing and think they can is part of the problem. I don't. You've been out more out on the Nobel than I have ever since we first started doing mm-hmm. this a long time ago. I always thought it was interesting. There's there's really nothing like it in culture. I guess is one reason I've been holding on to it. Where the whole world looks at an artist at one moment and says yes, mm. and and it's not. 
the Academy Awards, where it's mostly famous people. It's not something like that. You're, pluck, you're often plucking someone out of r- relative obscurity or actual obscurity, as the case may be, and bringing them even for a day that you're getting headlines about the Nobel, and it's a writer that people haven't heard of. There's nothing like that. And that the power of the Nobel to do that, I've, I've, held, I've had such awe for that for so long. And I've been wanting to hold on to that being a thing I care about. I just can't care about this. I just don't care. I, I just... The, the system is so stupid and broken and incestual and dumb that I just can't care. And I, I, we talked before about what I would do differently if, you know, get librarians from around the world and move it out of Sweden, move it to Istanbul or Jerusalem or get it. You just got to the only thing I would keep is the name and the money mm. and everything else would go if it were up to me. But now you've got 18 Swedes picking two white Europeans writing literary fiction. I mean, fine. Again. If you've followed me at all over the course of time, you know I wrote a post about how I think J.K. Rowling should win the Nobel Prize. I do. Mm-hmm. I, that's not even a, that's not even like a fake take to be fun. Like an ideal direction is getting people to read. No one's gotten more people to read more in my lifetime than Rowling. So again, if this is for a, if this is a prize clearly for literary writing of a certain kind that every now and again will do something interesting, like the Bob Dylan. Or the you know Mo Yan, or you know even Morrison for the time I think mm-hmm. was an outside the box pick for the Nobel. But we're now just back in the box. Now we're in a smaller. We're like I feel like we've taken nine steps backwards from this. Yeah, I think so too. Um, before we get into that any further, let's take a quick minute for a sponsor. Yeah, I'm all head up. Let's do a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, long after we are gone by Tara Shelton Harris, 
is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Okay. Okay, yeah. So I'm not sure. I mean, you know, I'm not sure what else to say about yeah, that. I but was, you, I was, react to my rant. Yeah, I, guess, I was. If there's anything interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Reacting to rants on the Book Riot podcast for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about this this morning because I was talking to a friend about it who was asking like, oh, do you have a lot of Nobel feelings? And I was like, you know, I'm... Not really. Like I have this general not great Bob response to them selecting a genocide apologist. Um, But I also don't think it's that big of a deal because I don't think the Nobel matters that much anymore. Like it is it has been becoming less and less relevant because of the way that culture has shifted and that the world is smaller because of the internet. Readers all over the world can talk to each other and can surface and recognize amazing work. You can find things by writers that aren't from your culture. You can connect with readers who aren't from your culture. There are so many ways to discover writers that you wouldn't have otherwise known about that like that any of these awards is less relevant than it was 20 years ago because we don't need like cultural gatekeepers in the way they, like they don't serve the purpose as much as they used to because it's easier to find things and it's easier to learn about stuff um i don't know like you know i don't know that i would have picked up either of these re- writers books before they won the nobel but them winning the nobel does not make me more likely to because i just don't think that the nobel prize committee is that relevant and this was a moment like when i was i was looking at this i was like okay well this just confirms, I guess, that feeling that not only is the function of a prize like this less necessary for the way our culture operates today. And I would feel the same way about like, if there was if there were one big international prize for music or for movies or, or anything, like, we just don't like the population of the world that consumes this media doesn't need doesn't benefit in the way that we potentially, I guess, used to from having people analyze work and bring one or two people to the front. Um, It's just not needed. And so I feel kind of fine about it. Like this is a gross choice. But also, I don't think it matters that much. And the fact that they that Mm. they seem to either be like on like the best option here is that the members of the Academy are just not super plugged in to culture and are not very aware of the expectations. And that um, the the other extreme, the worst option is they're aware that people are hoping that they will do something progressive and they don't care, um, or their values are different, or they just liked this writer and they want to believe that we're continuing to separate the art from the artist. I think it's probably somewhere in between. Like it's the most interesting part of this is that the Nobel Prize Committee for Literature had a Me Too moment that like rocked them yes. for a couple of years. And they seem to not have grasped that Me Too was actually about more than just removing men from situations of power in which they have abused that power, but also like that it resulted in taking a real culture-wide look at how we elevate or not people who have done abhorrent things in their personal lives for their professional work. And like 
in me and and i'm wondering like if hanka had been accused of rape would they have still honored him i don't know um like maybe oh maybe that lesson came you know like maybe that lesson came home clearer to them but they didn't get there's a lot of nuance that's happening now and it grew out of the me too moment really of like we're we are not allowing people to continue to have platforms and readers are not putting dollars into the pockets of writers who have who have been accused of doing horrible things um abusing women or raping women or committing sexual assault any of of those things and what they've done here is choose to take someone who has functionally supported genocide and encourage people to read that person's work which is basically put dollars in this guy's pocket um like yeah. It's it's a yeah. real it's a so, really tangly. It's like they didn't get the note that genocide is also bad. Right. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know. It's such a strange. And, and again, do your own. We're, we're, it's it's a very complicated. And his statements have been contradictory, mm-hmm. and they've changed over time. And the things he's actually said about Milosevic, you know, I'm reading in translation. He didn't support genocide in that sort of simple way, but he was. Not, but he spoke at Milosevic's funeral that he was a tragic guy, you know, rather than a war criminal, which he clearly was. So, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of support, but it's not, he's not Goebbels, but right. not a, not a yeah, great Yeah, he wasn't like but genocide is great, but he was, you know, on board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. More sympathetic to Milosevic than seems reasonable by by any standard. And use the pen standard. Mm-hmm. Even the pen, the pen's like, you know what? Not so much with this. I, I think your your point's well taken about if if the if the point of the Nobel is to be relevant, they're not doing themselves any favors about staying relevant. I think I go the other way on whether you know our cultural, the way cultural information travels now. I think there's actually more space for a moment of sort of collective attention to happen at one time. We're more and more fragmented. Like the monoculture is really gone, especially in America. We're used to in three channels or whatever. But a moment of focusing. The world's literary attention on a single author, I think actually is maybe more interesting now, not for discovery, but for some other kind of shared feeling like, oh, this is what we do. This is what we care about. Let's enjoy and celebrate an author rather than here's someone you've never heard of. And by the way, you may have all kinds of weird other problems with them. And we hope we'll see you next I agree about that, but I don't think it can come from the top down anymore. I think that the t- sort of top down. I don't know how, how can it come from the bottom up. Well, like then? I, I think know. that's the way that our big shared cultural appreciation of artistic achievement happens now. Like Lizzo is, I think, a perfect example in music right now of like that's a groundswell that starts with like she Lizzo has been making music for several years and sort of gradually gained fans on the internet and then had this album that just was straight fire and went. Like, just the sales are bonkers. Um, And, like, you could, I think you could walk into, like, any, like, store in America and sing one line of the song and someone on another aisle would respond back to you. And that's not something that, like, somebody could have convened a committee of let's look at music in the country and decide someone to recognize and then we will get everyone to listen to this artist. It's, like... I think as a function of how the internet has connected us and how culture's working now, those like these big moments of not quite monoculture, but like the big moment of the show everyone watches or the album everyone listens to come from like it, that it comes from the people now and not from a select group that are designated to tell the people what to pay attention to. 
I don't know if that's any different. I mean, that's just that's a hit. I mean, hit making has been a thing for a billion years, and we've seen what happens. It also that kind of thing doesn't happen when books, and when it does, it's where the crawdads sing. Like again, maybe I'm wrong about this, but it does. It, I feel like I would like a moment of like. We're going to hear someone who's been toiling in some part of the world you haven't heard of. And I guess some of the de-westernizing of the Nobel in a real way, I guess, Mm -hmm. is at the core of what I'm talking about. Because I'm speaking from myself here. Because we have a translation problem. American American literary publishing is pretty bad about translation. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't get translated. We don't know. We don't even have access. We don't even know that it gets um, published and, and we know anything about it later. Like Olga's first... I think her first English translation book came out last year, Flights, mm-hmm. uh, in 2018. And she's been working for a long time since then. So Riverhead was a little ahead of the game there. But still, you know, we just, there's so many people from around the world. We don't know. Is Lizzo a big thing in Korea? I mean, oh, maybe it's a, a big question. thing in America. Yeah. But like a world's attention on an artist, I think there's some value in that still. You know, and the Nobel has the one spotlight and they're fumbling it away. Yeah, they are. They are. I think that what they should do honestly, is give the money to the people who started the new Academy Prize as a protest last year and let them... I was thinking the same thing. And let them take that forward. Let them use the power of the internet and of like actual people Mm. from all over the world connecting and having opinions and bringing books in from their cultures and their languages. And then let, let the let the people decide in that way or there was I think there was like public nomination and then there was a curation process and then there was voting and so there's a way to have it be a mix of bottom up and top down and I I think that that's what needs to happen like the Nobel right now I just don't have any faith that the Nobel as it stands could reinvent itself in a way that would make readers trust it again in the way that we're supposed to trust it like that was one of the notes and uh one of the questions in my notes was like what does the nobel committee think that the world needed in order to have faith in them again um like do they think that they've done it that like just by getting rid of the me too guy like they and getting their ducks in a row so that they had enough people to vote again that they've done it and like now they can just roll out and go on as they have been going. Um, it seems to me that that's what they think. Um, that And that's just not going to do it. Like, I don't know that the Nobel can reinvent mm-hmm. itself in a way that would be meaningful or useful or that anyone would trust. At this point, I feel like, why should we continue to even pay attention to this? The folks who... Yeah, that's where I'm like, why, why should yeah. I? Why should I? I mean... I don't know. I don't know. I guess that we get internet. We can make internet out Which, of it, like, I guess, as well. You know, <laughs> it's I, the only reason. I- <laughs> right. Like, you know, the. I think this is a really horrible position that they put Olga Tol- Tolkerchuk in. That, like, she yeah. and she's made very generous statements about just being so happy to have won the prize and that she appreciate Peter, appreciates Peter Hanka's work. And, like, that's the thing that you're supposed to say. But... It would. It sucks that like we went two years without a yeah. Nobel Prize. She is getting what is supposed to be like the biggest artistic recognition of accomplishment in the world for what she does in books, and it's getting sullied because she has to share the stage with this guy, like with this crappy like, dude. Next I am. Door. It's like it's such a microcosm. Yeah, like right? I'm mad on behalf of yeah. dead Toni Morrison mm-hmm. that she has to like be in the same <laughs> conversation as this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. Uh, you, the, something you said earlier made me wonder. As they're considering giving the award to Hanke this year, a was the the comments about Milosevic brought up? Mm. I don't know. B and if so, did they 
what, did they give it to them? Did they give it to him through gritted teeth? Like, you know, he said this thing, but gosh, the artistic achievement and, you know, or just like, what did they think about that? Like, was it even hard for them or did they even think about it? That, that'd be an interesting question. The, the net effect is the same, but I'd like to know just from a where we are in the conversation piece would be interesting. And the second piece we talked about in the, and I'll link to our old episode of Annotated. This was really about when the, the Nobel first, the Jenga tower fell down in a real way. And we were in the middle of not knowing what was going to happen how much the Nobel is wrapped up in Swedish identity. Um, we had a couple of interviews from um, Swedes saying, you know, it, they take the day off work and everyone watches the announcements live. It's so wrapped up in Swedish identity that the, the thing that the Nobel should probably do is kind of the thing they can't do, which is give it up. Mm-hmm. They, they, they can't. They, they, they can't give it up because it's, it's a, it would be like us giving up the 4th of July, right. right? Yeah, you can have that, can Have fun. Um, so I, I'm not sure that's going to happen. I think you agree. I like the alternative Nobel the winners this year and the, with the, the public comments they were saying the other, I was trying to think of other literary awards that don't focus on a work. Cause I think that focusing on the writer's body work is mm-hmm. interesting. We have plenty of awards that does single works. I think the MacArthur's fellowships nominees are always fascinating. And the, the, the writerly people are always interesting. And I don't know what they're, how they, and they're mid career people. Cause they, they, they manifestly say, we want this to support this person's ongoing literary work where the Nobel, by the time you get it, I mean, sure, 1.7 million kroner. Who wouldn't take it? But you're not actually changing the course of someone's career, right? You're not you're not taking them and moving them three steps ahead on the monopoly board so they can make more of the kind of work they're working for. I think what I would do: get it out of Sweden, somewhere else, a more diverse in all the ways we talk about diversity now board, and have three awards for mid-career people, mm-hmm. and. They and some kind of check that you're not going to give three awards to white people every yeah. year or any year, and they're not going to be all dudes. And so, you don't have to part of the Nobel's problem is you've got one award, and any single award gets so much attention. And it's at the end of the career that three, three is enough. We could handle three. We do the now, we're doing like 20 book long national book award long list. We could do three people from around the world who are like 42 ish who've had some <laughs> career, but they've got a lot of career ahead of them. Not that I'm picking that reason that's close to home to me at all about thinking about where I am in my life, but I'm just saying, like, a different kind of understanding of what this award could be about would be fascinating because I, I do think the spotlight thing, and that's the only thing left. That's the only thing left for me is this this ability to focus the world because of the cultural weight of the idea of the Nobel is still there. Take take that and just do it differently. That's yeah, all I got. I think so. Let's um, let's take our second sponsor here. And then One more get sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international bestselling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and Series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsey, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tom and Series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> All right, this is what we're going to throw at you. We talked oh, a little right. bit about Oh, right, I forgot there was going to be a curveball. That, that, that Tony, RIP, hope she's up there making revisions in the sky, um, is gone. And you and I, and I think most people would agree, was at the time of her passing, the greatest American writer. And I said at some point we should talk about who the, oh, the belt uh-huh. holder is mm-hmm. right now. And I don't want to do that so much as reframe it a little bit. Who would be next in line for a Nobel? That's different than who's the best yeah. because, you know, you got to be older. But who do you think would be the next in line as an American? Now, we have Dylan, so it's going to be a while. So you might keep that in your mind. They, they typically wait. They make us wait for a while for Americans, which is fine. Don't care. Um which is a little bit different than who's the best, because I had said to you offline that I think right now, again, I don't read everything. I have big blind spots, especially around poetry, that Colson Whitehead is the best. Mm-hmm. Just all around, body of work, artistic achievement, political consciousness, formal experimentation. I think he's the most interesting and accomplished and talented person cooking out there. I, and, yeah. So that's my number one all draft pick, and you and I agreed, agreed on, on that, that I one. Think, yeah, if I yes, correctly. yep. Mm-hmm. I th- we almost did a like. So we'll take that one off the board. Right. Say it, say it on three, and we were both like Colson Whitehead. Oh, we're taking him <laughs> right. off the board. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm just saying we're both picking him, so he's mm-hmm. you know number one overall. He's like LeBron James <laughs> in the draft that year. Okay, off the board. <laughs> the, the next one that now gets interesting Ooh, after that. It's. I think it gets very interesting. So let uh, let me give you some candidates, okay. unless someone comes yeah. to mind. Does anyone come? Not to immediately, but I I really um, was unprepared for this. My coffee. I know. <laughs> I was like, wait, I'm ready with Colson Whitehead. I need more than Colson Whitehead. <laughs> All right. Well, do you want to pick pick up on that then? Like you, anything else you want to say about Mr. Whitehead? You know, I, I, I'm i trying to remember the conversation that we had where we were talking about it. But mm-hmm. I think his experimentation with genre and with form yeah. and with addressing cur- both current and past political moments and the ways that they are connected is very important and the books are just stunning and each one is different and stands on its own and like who else has done a zombie novel and a thing about the underground railroad with magic realism and that's what i was that that, that's what i came back to with whitehead too because you know he's very much the nickel boys especially feels like a morrison yeah like it's more the more than any of the other ones and it got me thinking about tony again as i do from time to time and 
we both love Tony, but and one thing you can say about her works feel like of, of a piece. Mm-hmm. They all feel like they're kind of in the same. I don't even know. It, it feels like in the same artistic vision. And whiteheads do too, but they move around so much. Like Apex Hide the Herd is like the satirical thing. It's like a near future dystopian weird thing. And John Henry Days is about journalism and myth. And then Nickel Boys is this historical fiction thing. And Underground Railroad is historical speculative fiction. And Zone One is a zombie book. Like, And they don't feel, it doesn't feel schizophrenic. It feels like a cogent mm-hmm body of work that's part of it is the mobility that's part of the thing that's going on there which i i don't i can't think of another yeah i can't think of anybody like that i think that um with another decade or two of writing in her body of work i could imagine it going to jesmyn ward um the her fiction is incredible um but also the nonfiction and essays and the sort of overt political work that she does with uh, with her essay writing, but also with having edited the fire this time and imagining what the future, what the next decade or two of Jasmine Ward's work will look like. I can imagine that happening for her. Um, there are, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch like Denez Smith in poetry um, or mm. Hanif Abdurraqib would be interesting, but also that's like a couple more. Claudia Rankine. Right. Yeah. Maybe like Claudia a couple Rankine, more maybe. decades of, of yeah. right of um, career writing and development there. I could imagine any of them being in consideration for it. So, okay, hit me. Let's go back. Who are your options? <laughs> the non close well, and white. When we were thinking about it before, like what, if you had asked me 10 years ago, Don DeLillo's name would be floated as up there. And it just, I, I just think it's not, I think he's Roth, is Diet Roth, <laughs> Diet Philip Roth is Don DeLillo. Uh-huh. Like not as acclaimed, not as interesting. White Noise is a signal work. A lot of, in, I've read them all. I've read all the Don DeLillo. I like Don DeLillo quite a lot. It just doesn't feel like he hits for enough power um, to get up there. A Dark Horse candidate for me, it's, it's one of the kind of a, I'm not even sure it's a hipster pick, but you've really got to like, literature and literary <laughs> writing bill volman mm. who writes the william t volman writes these i don't even know these epic experimental books about topics you don't even know you care about and you, maybe you still don't but the the work itself is unlike anything else you're going to read um and, it, and it's political in a literary kind of way which to think about what the nobel tends to like is one you might put up there then then it's a whole bunch of i don't know it's like if you look at old lions, um, you're looking at John Irving. It doesn't Mm-mm. seem to me to be in you the know, right. You know the Richard Russos of the world. I, I just, I just don't see that. Next I'm overlooking Donna it. Tart, I don't. Yeah, see. I'm overlooking at old lions. I think that's part of it right now. Is like goodbye to the old lions. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, there's what we would like to have happen. What we would bet on, which are sort of different things, mm. right? Um, yeah. I, the other. You know, it got me thinking of um, if this was 18 months ago, I might have scribbled the now, name the, down the name Sherman Alexi. Mm. Just the body of work and the diversity of work from kids to adult to memoir to poetry to novels. But for reasons we've talked about before, I'm taking him off the board. But I, I did have a moment of thinking 18 months ago, mm. he would have been a really interesting pick um, for for a lot of reasons. The, the, the other name that was floating around in the back of my um, head. And I don't know how these things work in terms of nationality. I don't care. She writes largely in English, and I think she still lives is in America, is Chimamanda. Yeah. 
is in 20 years, mm-hmm. you need a certain amount of notches on your belt, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it, for me, that's table stakes. Like that, you said the same thing about Ward. Like she has what, two books yeah. now? Just the two, the two novels. Um, and... I think you need five. I feel like you need five. That's just a. And then Lahiri, if she had a few more books in English or at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about is an interesting. Now, is she Italian now? I don't know what she is. She's American, Italian, or she's, which is I don't care about, but I'm claiming her as an American yeah. because that's what Americans do. <laughs> um, I think is an interesting pick. But other than that, I didn't have a great, after Whitehead, I had a lot, I'd make a lot of small bets. If you have to make one big bet, I go Whitehead. A lot of small bets, that's kind of where I am. Um in the mixture there. So shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. I'm sure there's someone um, I forgot about. And Rebecca gets all <laughs> kinds of free passes because I didn't hit her with it. I'm so going to go stare. Massive blind spots. I will take the hits for. I'm going to go stare at my bookshelves and I will report back after I've had some time to consider. Well, I didn't want to give you this because all the critiques we just made of the Nobel would, would con- well, not all of them, but some of them would. Number two on the list. I don't know if you listen to Vanessa and I talk Mm-mm. on that Guardian list. Gilead by uh, Marilyn Robinson was number two on that list. Mm -hmm. And you wonder, does she have enough, Marilyn? I mean, really only the five books? I love Marilyn. Well, there's the nonfiction too, I guess. I love Marilyn Robinson, but I don't think she's globally relevant in that way. Like, I... I just think that there are. I love her like deeply. There will be I'll, like mm-hmm. I'll end up with a Marilyn Robinson inspired tattoo by the time it's over. That's how much I love her. <laughs> but I don't think that what like what she does is so spe- it's so specifically American about a very particular place in American life and like the characters do deal with universal human difficulties and emotions and experiences. But it's. It's just not globally relevant in the way that, like, I would want the, a reimagined Nobel Prize to be globally relevant. Um, yeah, yeah. As I hate to say, and much it, like the Morrison <laughs> thing, where it, it all feels of a piece, like it feels like one long project. Well, like, like three of the books well, are one a little long bit different. project. Gilead. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Not that, not that that couldn't be a thing, but like when you hold her body of work up to Colson Whitehead's. It just feels like they're from different planets, which is fine. Yeah. Now here's but a, I thought I would mention that just for our own edification. Here's a question brought to you by the fact that the book is sitting yeah. on my desk still. And we're talking about getting oh. people to read as an idealistic direction. What about Stephen King? I mean, using my rolling logic, I wouldn't fight it. I wouldn't. I don't know how I could. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Now, in in that's a different Nobel direction. Like that, that wouldn't fit my model of like the MacArthur, the, right, the global right, MacArthur right. Yes. for words yeah. is kind of right. what I'm. The King doesn't do that. But if you're just looking at Nobels for body of work that's more democratic mm-hmm. in its appeal, like the work can be popular. <laughs> we, right. I mean, that's not to put too fine a point on it. Like that popular writing, genre writing uh, of different kinds like, would be would fit yeah. Nobels manifest ideal direction getting people to read and like reading seems like an ideal yeah, direction to I me i think so that's and the, basically the argument i made in my old like, rolling so i love um i think i might be in the minority camp on this but i like when the nobel goes to when the nobel for literature goes to people who don't write books um like i don't i'm you know i'm yes. lukewarm on bob dylan but i like being reminded that music is a work of literature um, and that we can read music in like that good music does this. Like it gives us something to read and to Mm. dissect and to think about. And like, I I don't know, another decade or two of 
Janelle Monet albums if they continue to be as good as Dirty Computer was. Um, I, I could mm. see that if Lauren Hill like got back on the horse, I could see um, I could see that you can read that work in a fascinating way. Um, and it's it says or screenwriter. Yeah, screen, for that sure. What, I mean, what about Aaron Sorkin? Mm. Right. I mean, probably the most decorated living American screenwriter. Now, again, he's a white dude. But for genre purposes, kind of like Dylan is an interesting pick. Sorkin would be an right. Interesting or like pick. Uh, I'm sure there's, I don't know a lot about screenwriters. Like now, if we're going to go to screenwriter, like Vince Gilligan, you know, you write for the X for the yeah. X Files, you create Breaking Bad, and then you go on and do some other things for a few mm. more decades. That's an interesting. That's a, a really interesting George R R. Hmm. Hmm. Um. Anyway, okay. Well, that's our that's our. Ooh, Ava DuVernay. Coverage. I don't know what we're going to do next year. <laughs> Yeah. I think yeah. maybe I think she's in the I, I think she's in the Jasmine Ward thing. Yeah, we, I we think need she needs a couple more. more notches, but maybe I'm wrong. We need some more. Ide- give us some ideas there. If you know about screenwriters, I'm so bad at theater too. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm sure there's American um, playwrights I should know uh, uh, a lot more about. What's the guy's name who wrote Angels in America? Oh, um, I, I totally. F- mm-hmm. What about Lin Manuel? Now that would be uh, that hits a lot of buttons. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think maybe he might. Hmm. Hmm. Uh huh. That's interesting. That is interesting. I like interesting. that. Okay. That's a good note to end on. So the and next I think thing we're going to not... hear is Amanda and Rebecca talking about um, what? Yeah. Uh, just Amanda talking about. Uh... Did I lose you, Rebecca? Nope. I'm here. Can you hear me? Hello. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. We we talked over each other. <laughs> or I talked over you. I'll edit that out here in a second. You you take us out. Take us out. Yeah. So the next thing that you'll hear is Amanda just giving her amazing description of drive your plow over the bones of the dead. And I think probably next year we're not doing a Nobel breakdown, but let us know what you think. It'd have to be a, it'd have to be an out of the box pick for sure. If it's a Ukrainian memoirist, we're not talking about it. I'm sorry. We're not, we just won't. We'll mention it on the show, but that'll be it. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for this Saturday morning, Saturday morning curveballs. That's a (laughs) double top spot for you. I'm just going to go ponder my bookshelf and have a bunch of ideas I wish I had had on the fly on air. (laughs) Have a good one. So Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead is basically if Murder, She Wrote and John Wick had a like really weird baby with the vegetarian by Han Kang. Um, It's about an older woman named Janina who lives in a really remote Polish village and spends her time translating William Blake's poetry and studying astrology. And not in like a cute hipster millennial way where she like really likes astrology memes, but in like a very strange way where she thinks that astrology can predict the day and manner of your death. Um, So she's obviously like a really eccentric character, Uh, not Jessica Fletcher in a wholesome way, just Jessica Fletcher and like an older lady, people are dying sort of way. Um, And then her neighbor turns up dead and a few other bodies are discovered in her village. And they're all um, terrible men who have done terrible things to the animal population around the village. Uh, And then you start to, you know, follow her while she figures out who done it or what done it, because Janina has a theory that it is the, uh, the animals who are like exacting revenge on these terrible men, some of whom are like organized criminals. One of them owns a factory for um, fur coats 
making fur coats out of foxes. Uh, and then one of them is her neighbor, who's a hunter. Uh, it's a very strange book. And I've seen it described as an eco-thriller. Um, and I don't know if that's accurate because I didn't find it particularly thrilling so much as just like odd and fascinating and very compelling. Like you are here for this this woman finding out uh, who committed these murders and also watching her um, subvert people's expectations because, and you see this in Murder, She Wrote. I'm just going to keep talking about Murder, She Wrote in reference to this Nobel Prize winner, but no one expects anything from her. She's an older woman. She lives on her own. She's not married. She doesn't have children. And so she's just kind of discarded by the people in her village and her community as like not really useful or worth anything. Um, And because no one has any expectations of her, everything that she does is shocking in its own interesting ways. I'm sure there are things about this book that I'm missing as far as like Polish community and, you know, I don't know, culture and things like that. Um, But to me, it was just it's just Polish murder she wrote. And I loved it. That's it. (laughs) 